Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Inchain podcast. Today I have Imran with me. Imran is a partner at World Capital and he is involved with DeFi Alliance and Token Daily as well. Today we are going to talk to him more about uh, backing interesting projects in DeFi, which he is doing with DeFi Alliance, and he's uh, he backs global projects through World Capital. Um, so we are going to talk to him more about his thesis and some exciting things that he's saying in crypto these days. Simran, uh, can you start off by talking about you know how you start started World Capital and got into crypto as well? Yeah, uh, got into crypto around uh, the 2013 timeframe. Uh, there was a bunch of you know TechCrunch articles as usual. And around that time, I sold my company um, and I was looking to look at the next emerging technology. Uh, and crypto really caught my eyes. Uh, ended up investing at the top, which was uh, 800 bucks, and then it dropped down to like 200. Um, and I was pretty like, it was, it was one of those things that was pretty emotional, but uh, I think what drew me to it, what, that was one of the reasons what drew me into crypto for the longer term, because I wanted to learn what I invested in, what I, how much money I lost into this. Uh, generally, I, I found it to be very fascinating. Uh, I ended up doing a consulting job at Coinbase around that time with Adam White. <clears throat> and uh, since then, I decided that I think uh, I'd like to d- dive deeper into crypto. Uh, I ended up working for Microsoft. I spent about six years there. Uh, because I didn't want to move to San Francisco. I stayed in Chicago. Uh, I spent six years there, first half of my career on the product development side. So the first integration that you saw with uh, BitPay uh, and Xbox Live was one of the things I worked on. The last half of my career I spent at uh, Microsoft Ventures where I helped build out the crypto thesis. Um, Then moving forward from then on uh, around 2017, I joined uh, Token Daily. Uh, they were first one of the first crypto launch pads, uh, I'd say around that time, and they helped launch many, many of the startups that you see today. They have a rich developer community, and uh, I came on to kind of help kickstart the, the fund. Uh, the Vault Capital Fund, uh, if you kind of think about the thesis perspective, the three areas that we focus on is in, uh, institutional uh, infrastructure uh, pro- uh, projects. Number two is uh, DeFi, and number three is end user services. So anything that touches the end user. Uh, and so some of those projects include like Dharma, uh, Fortmatic, which is now Magic Labs, uh, and et cetera. So those are some of the projects that we invested in, and that's our thesis for, for our fund. So um, you, you, I saw that you were looking at uh, investing in Africa, right? And even your one of your portfolio companies, I think, is is from Africa. Um, so, so can you talk about like uh, what what you are saying? I see that there's a lot of uh, adoption in Africa, in Nigeria, and, and these countries. So, yeah. what what interesting trends have you seen there? Yeah, I, I think Africa generally is, there's massive opportunity um like with every paradigm shift that happens from a technical perspective uh there are countries that are most suited to adopt technology quicker than others it's just the way it is um and the ones that have have legacy infrastructure it's harder for them to adopt newer technology due to regulations etc so from that perspective africa is primed to take advantage of all of what's happening in crypto uh, one of our investors uh, of Old Capital, Yele, uh, leads a, a, uh, an accelerator program called Microtraction, which is similar to Y Combinator. And, uh, and it's really geared towards uh, like enabling 
really talented folks to understand what are some of the core infrastructure issues within the countries that they live in and being able to use newer technologies to solve them. And so that's what's happening. Um, and so in Africa, as an example, um, one of the companies we backed, Bycoins, is essentially offering an exchange that's similar to Coinbase. Um, but it also enables a few other kind of interesting trends that others aren't really seeing today. Uh, many of the uh, Af like people in Africa, they're leveraging Bycoins as a means to uh, make uh, like a day-to-day -day income, which is pretty incredible. And obviously, you can see some of those trends happening in the States, but it's not as robust as it, as it is in Africa. Payments is obviously very big there. I mean, if you look at like M-Pesa being started around the 2010 timeframe, uh, and so you're seeing a lot of the payment infrastructure being redeveloped into leveraging some of the crypto native um, infrastructure, which is pretty interesting there. Uh, but we're starting to see a lot of newer types of developments that aren't particularly used in the states uh, or elsewhere that we're super excited about but i guess if i had to kind of give you two bullet points the first bullet point is uh it enables so crypto is where where, where i'm kind of focused on it enables like new countries or like countries are emerging to uh, adopt technology quicker and two because of that you're able to see much more advanced technical iterations of products that we would like to see here in the States, which is really, really compelling and exciting. Yeah, I guess it's that uh, when, when you in the United States or in other places where the financial ecosystem is well developed, you see, say, a 1.5 or 2x improvement. But if, if, if in Africa, it's a 5x improvement to what currently exists, then it, it just makes sense to uh, adopt the tech, which is better. Um, which is yeah. like, here's a beautiful example. Um, United States, uh, obviously, uh, credit cards was one of the tech revolution. I guess you want to call it tech revolution now, but back in the in the forties, fifties, sixties, it was it was a huge revolution, right? So we our entire infrastructure was laid on top of that. Unfortunately, when uh, like more of the mobile apps started to come out, uh, we were more of the boomers, where we didn't adopt some of that technology. Uh, whereas China, they didn't have the legacy credit card infrastructure in place. So for them, they enabled, they were able to adopt WeChat and Alipay as a way, as a means for merchants to take payments. And now there's trillions of dollars that flow into those two platforms, whereas all of our legacy infrastructure is still enabling that. So uh, it, it, you, you could see this already happening with like the past paradigm shift. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to see that again with Africa. Yeah, I, I think China and even India, uh, like I... I India too. Yeah, it's 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 really crazy. Like uh, the past two three years, uh, or I would say the past after the demonetization thing happened in India, which yeah. was I think in one seventeen, if I remember correctly. But uh, that sort of I have seen it change so fast. Like even now, you know, small rickshaw puller or a small yeah. shop vendor, they 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 accept uh, these these payment apps. Um, yeah. So in Africa, have you seen, I'm just curious, any like DeFi activity or is it like people who are just using Bitcoin uh, to, to as a store of value or, or as payment, uh, as a payment method? Um, we're seeing some, but primarily it's been focused on payments uh, is, is where I'm seeing a lot of the activity. And it actually brings up um, an interesting thought, which is... Um, Right now, you know, M-Pesa and like there's a couple other payment gateways 
that are kind of controlling a lot of the inflows and outflows of payments. And so maybe many of the entrepreneurs are still seeing issues with their current payment infrastructure uh, that's been laid out. And that's probably why they're focusing on that a lot more. Um, but yeah, no, this was just a thought. So a lot of my chair is still kind of focused on rebuilding that type of infrastructure versus DeFi. Whereas I think DeFi, um, it's more speculative uh, and attracts a certain type of a group of folks that's more global in nature, uh, which isn't, I, I wouldn't call it DeFi is solving any critical issues today. Uh, but uh, aside from speculation for now, uh, whereas I think, you know, countries like Africa, they have like core, there's certain like infrastructure issues that they have that they need to focus their time on. So that's where I'm seeing a lot of the mindshare that are happening, uh, focused on right now. Yeah. Also, I think some of these countries don't have very good uh, national currencies. So I guess Bitcoin and stuff might be good uh, there. But hopefully, if as DeFi gets more integrated um, with with the with the financial institutions, maybe uh, people can maybe start using USDC and stuff um, as as better uh, store of value compared to their own uh, national currency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what what do you th- think about that? Do you think something like this can happen that people start, you know, using uh, USDC instead of their own currency? Mm-hmm. Or yeah. Oh yeah, that's a. I I would say um, it it really depends on how the countries will uh, react to stablecoins generally. Uh, it, it's a, I would say that's going to be that could become an enabler. So as an example of this is like if a country really sees a threat uh, to stable coins, maybe such as a country like China, uh, you'll have strict regulations that will forbid anyone from interacting with some of these stable coins and just, you know, have you focused on whatever uh, areas or whatever the country wants you to focus on. So that, that's like kind of like how I see one side of the, the equation. The other side of the equation is, um, be open, right? Like, um, don't have little to no regulations. Uh, but the problem with that is uh, obviously like uh, the strongest uh, currency right now, if you want to call it the strongest, I guess the most mind share of, of a currency right now is the dollar. Uh, and so people naturally gravitate to that because that is something that gives everyone peace of mind, right? Um, so I would say there, there's kind of like, I would say three schools of thoughts, right? One is be open and then risk your, you know, risk that the citizens that are leveraging these stable coins to use, adopt the US dollar versus yours, which could become a threat uh, over time. Two is offer some regulations, which is like force people, force exchanges to use uh, local stable coins as an on-ramp. And then you could use other coins after that, other stable coins after that. and then finally, three is just uh, being, you know, very controlling like China and then just kind of offer products and services that is aligned with the kind of uh, the country's uh, long term plan. OK, uh, let's let's talk about uh, DeFi Alliance now. Can you uh, first of all, you know, t- talk about how why did you start DeFi Alliance and then, you know, we can go deeper into into it. Yeah, um, I would say between 2017 to 2019, uh, we've uh, being in Chicago, Chicago is home to about 60% of the market makers globally. So a lot of the liquidity is concentrated in, in, in that city. Um, 
And uh, it, it was pretty interesting over time. I've had many DeFi protocols and founders reach out wanting to connect with start, uh, market makers, trading firms, and liquidity providers so that they could attract liquidity onto their platforms, get product feedback, or even just like look and, and feel or understand what the uh, talent kind of ratio looks like here in the state in, the, in Chicago. So uh, over time, I built a community of, of trading firms and market makers like Jump Trading and DRW and CMT Digital. And uh, as DeFi was starting to take off around the March timeframe, um, we, we got together and said like, I think we need to offer more of a, a strict support structure that would give startups in the DeFi space a better understanding of how they can connect with market makers, uh, and create a programmatic way to offer structured feedback, uh, along with being able to fast track liquidity provisioning from traditional market makers. And so we, we started this program back in, we launched it in about April. We had about 400 applications come in globally. Uh, and so once we saw that, we realized that there, there, this is a core specific need that needs to be solved or needs to be addressed so that we can kind of move the industry forward. So um, we uh, ended up creating an accelerator program that's eight weeks long um, and it helps fast track uh, startups into the traditional finance world. And then it, it also enables traditional financial firms to learn more about DeFi as well. So we've had many, many uh, market makers come in that had no exposure to DeFi at all to being like uh, more robust now. Uh, so as an example, there's one market maker that, that I can speak about that not only like provided liquidity, but are also actively investing in DeFi startups now. Uh, and, and that's, that's incredible. Uh, and so we want to continue to create that like flywheel where we're able to onboard as many traditional market makers, institutional firms into DeFi, and then bringing that liquid institutional liquidity to DeFi protocols and growing the overall pie uh, together. Okay. So, so uh, you have done one batch till now? In, uh, yeah, since you we've done two batches. Two batches, okay. Uh, and then the third batch is, uh, the third cohort will launch uh, early January. So applications will be going live next month. Um, but we've had over 20 startups that went through our program. Um, and uh, I guess from a, um, like, if you were to think about, like, what are, like, our areas, that, the three areas that we're looking to solve, like, if you want to call it our core thesis, the first is uh, liquidity provisioning challenges. So bringing more institutional market makers to DeFi, that's one. Two is regulations. So we have... Uh, uh, a regulatory task force that we're launching very soon that will kind of lobby and support uh, DeFi generally. And then finally is hiring and recruiting and uh, and uh, bringing more Web2 talent to Web3. Gotcha, gotcha. So how has the experience been, uh, you know, running a DeFi accelerator? Um, th there are not many crypto accelerators as such. There, There is a couple of, you know, in China or Singapore and, um, but, but in general, if you compare it to the normal startup world, the number of accelerators in crypto are very less. Uh, um, so how has your experience been and you know, what, what do you think are the challenges of running a, if you compare of running a crypto accelerator compared to say, uh, running a normal accelerator? Uh, well, <laughs> that's a, that's a good question. Um, 
And it's probably the reason why we started that in the first place is that any, like, if you were to look at like enterprise or startups generally building for the enterprise or direct to consumer markets, uh, there's some, uh, there's some frameworks that you could work on, right? Which is one, you know, the regulations already solved for you, right? Two is uh, users generally know how to use mobile phones uh, or computers or desktops. Three, there's a robust infrastructure of APIs and other types of services that kind of support the running of the mobile application. <clears throat> uh, we don't have that in DeFi. <laughs> um, or if we do, it's, it's very bare minimal. Uh, and so you're, we're, I, would, I would say we're, we are an accelerator program per se, but we're more of a, um, uh, I, I wouldn't call it a core infrastructure provider, but like we're looking to solve core hurdles that DeFi startups go through. And we do that through partnerships. We do that through uh, uh, work groups, working groups that we have within the Alliance. Um, and, and finally, it's, it's just working as a community. Uh, whereas in those types of worlds, like the enterprise and the direct to consumer, there's more competition because the framework, framework is already laid out. In DeFi right now, it isn't. So we all have to come together as a group and, and kind of tackle each of these issues together as a community so that the pie gets big enough where we can compete. Uh, and so that's where we are right now. And so I, I would call ourselves uh, a working group uh, alliance first, uh, and then number two is accelerator. Whereas I think most would be just an accelerator program. We have this kind of two-pronged approach because the mind share is needed to be concentrated so we can tackle these issues together as a team. So uh, can you talk more about the program itself? Like you have, uh, you mentioned eight weeks. Uh, what, what are the, uh, how much money do you give and how much equity uh, do you take? <clears throat> yeah, um, it's an eight week program. We have four modules we focus on, liquidity provisioning, regulations, product, and um, uh, trading. So those are like the, the four core aspects we look at. Um, we invest uh, about $150,000 per startup. Um, in terms of tokens, it, there, there's an X percent of supply uh, of tokens that we, we normally take. Um, and the goal here is to align incentives. And what I mean by that is uh, most of the Alliance members that are part of the program are also going to be providing liquidity. And to provide liquidity, uh, they, they, I think uh, there's a few things that happens here. One is like being able to align incentives in such a way that both the startup and the market maker uh, are in it for the long term. Uh, they, the market maker will invest in this project or in the startup so that they could be successful and, and vice versa where market makers will provide capital because you know, there's a incentive for them to do that in the long term. So there's this kind of like dual incentive program that we have. So by enabling startups to get more active with startups, uh, market makers to get more active with startups, uh, it gives them this kind of dual synergetic approach where they can be invested in each other's success. Uh, and so we see a lot of this is happening now. And um, not only that though, what's awesome is that even after the program is done, you see the market makers that are still being very active with the startups because that's kind of how we see this kind of long-term approach um, because market making, the, the, there's pros and cons, right? Pros are, you know, you can provide liquidity for a protocol, 
but if it's not long-term or sustainable, then what's the point? So there has to be a, a long-term way to kind of engineer that together so that people are much more connected in the long-term. So that's kind of how we're thinking about it. So when you say providing liquidity, you mean like say if a startup has a token providing liquidity for that or if, if or and, and or, or if, if it has say a platform which, which requires some say liquidity, say it's a, if it's a, D, a DEX aggregator, then it needs to have maybe some liquidity. Do, do you mean that uh, both of these things or something else as well? Both. Yeah. Anything, yeah. So I would just put it under a liquidity bucket. It could be governance tokens for liquidity mining programs. It could be for trading or, or for exchanges that need more markets and different trading pairs. Um, it could be anything, um, but it, it all depends on the startup's use case. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so you also mentioned about regulations uh, that, that you look at. What interesting things have you seen for DeFi uh, startups tackling regulation that you didn't expect um, you know, when, when you were starting out, uh, with, with DeFi Alliance and, and usually what's the hurdle that, um, startups face with regulation? Well, it's the unknown. Um, it's the unknown, um, of whether or not, what are the parameters within, uh, the governments that you're able to work out of and, and, and loosely you'll hear like, you know, based on what you see in here, this is what you could kind of work out of. <clears throat> But the problem is with even with all of this is that you know you're sidestepped by what the SEC and the CFTC etc. Uh, will will launch publicly. So like with the takedown of Bitmex as an example, many of the startups reached out to me that that were scared, like they were literally scared, and so we ended up doing a community panel um, right after that with Jake Travinsky of uh, of Compound, Colleen, Mark, Rebecca. Uh, and Jason from Xerox uh, to kind of like calm the community, calm the entrepreneurs down a bit and really talk about like, what tools do you have as an entrepreneur that you could leverage so that you could be uh, successful in the terms, in, 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 the, in the sense of being able to work within the framework that you are allowed to. And then two, what are things that you should avoid, even if it's gray? Um, and so we, we want to make sure that we continue to leverage the, the task force that we have within a DeFi Alliance to address these like public kind of like takedowns in such a way that uh, it calms entrepreneurs down because they're, they're not just like, <laughs> they're not like just risking their lives by uh, building these products. Like, like if you look at traditional enterprise uh, founders, they're not risking their lives aside from the capital and their time. Uh, founders in DeFi are risking their capital, their livelihood, and and really like uh, putting themselves at risks for uh, you know legal concerns. So we, and that's one of the reasons why the alliance kind of came together and launched a regulatory task force is so that we could protect these startups as they build in DeFi, and that's what we're doing. Uh, so you'll hear probably more about the regulatory task force in the coming weeks. That's interesting. Yeah. I think uh, for regulation. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree with what you say. And uh, I think founders that are building, you know, it's just, uh, they're all quite passionate and um, usually, yeah, they, they understand the risks and they understand the rewards as well because the, the space uh, has, has a lot of potential to grow. Um, 
in terms of uh, DeFi trends, what 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 are the things that you are seeing right now? I I saw that you had a sort of like a demo day uh, last week or or some some few days yep. ago. Um, yeah, what what interesting trends are you seeing in DeFi? Yeah, I mean, mostly it's like uh, perpetuals, derivatives uh, are are products that that people are actively building. It's probably like the best time to do it as well because of what happened with BitMEX. Uh, and you'll probably see interesting things come up with other exchanges kind of like that are operating the legally gray area. Um, and so I think derivatives, uh, on-chain derivatives will probably start to take off eventually once there's a lot of kind of like uh, product development uh, and advancements on speed and scalability. We'll start to see that kind of like kind of come about. We're seeing, you know, a lot of uh, mind share in the options space. So uh, you have great companies like Permitify, Pods, Open, uh, Potion Labs, they're all kind of building in this area that we're excited about. Um, and, you know, there's different flavors of AMMs that are coming out that are, that are geared towards different, uh, like, areas that they need to focus on in terms of solving a core issue. So, like, as an example, Uniswap uh, with just the general AMMs, then you have, like, Curve with more stablecoin-like AMMs. Then you have Dodo that will offer, like, you know, ways to kind of, like, lower the impermanent loss risks. Um, so there's different flavors that are coming out, uh, but I think long term, you know, we'll see some that are aggregated aggregated towards like kind of the core issues, and then you'll start to see these interesting flexible AMMs that are going to solve specific issues for a larger problem. Yeah. So so you right now like DeFi is mostly I I would say getting used by whales like at at a very large volume and and some crypto like mostly crypto native people who have been in the space. Uh, from 2017 and even those I think not all of them are using like I know personally a lot of friends who um, you know they they just haven't used uh, DeFi so uh, do, do you in terms of uh, adoption like do you see like say as we get layer two and uh, as say transaction costs decrease the people might you know start even using DeFi applications normal people instead of uh, yeah centralized applications yeah, uh, I think we're going into a world that's more uh, that your assets are going to become more productive with what it in terms of what you want to do with it. So like assets sitting in central exchanges do no work for you. And what I mean by work is yield. Uh, and and so I think we're already going through this process with more of the crypto native folks that, you know, a, an asset needs to be productive or there's opportunity costs. And the way you could get, you know, take advantage of uh, uh, productive assets is being in, on DeFi. That's plain and simple. Yeah. Uh, and I think we'll, we're seeing a shift for crypto native users to go to DeFi from that perspective. However, the masses are still learning about Bitcoin. So uh, from a, uh, I guess from a long-term perspective, we're still so early. It's, it's a gateway drug, right? Like hopefully they need to get into Bitcoin first. Yeah. Once they get into Bitcoin, then they can see the the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that uh, you, since you're based in Chicago and uh, uh, there are a lot of uh, liquidity providers and firms there. So uh, what what are the uh, things that usually they ask uh, when when they look at DeFi and what has been uh, the most challenging thing to explain or uh, try to uh, 
you know for you to explain to them um and and uh, yeah how, how's the response been from them regarding defi do, do they see this as a very innovative thing yeah well usually the first time they hear about it they they uh, they say uh, they push back and say you know this is probably not something they want to do today um they'll think about it and uh and they'll leave uh so they'll inquire about it but not enough for them to join the alliance <clears throat> um and i get it from their perspective because uh i mean bitcoin is still a challenge for many people in many parts of the world so why take on something even more riskier <laughs> um but like if you look at defi where it's where it started and where it's going it's it's rapidly moving uh quickly uh in terms of mindshare so they all come back and they and they say like well tell me more about like what's happening defi i'm hearing you know from other folks uh and so we we educate them and we teach them like areas of opportunities where they need to focus their time on who they should be talking to we provide an entire educational funnel so that once they're like up to speed in regards to what defi is and they're sold on like kind of like a market opportunity then we get them connected to market uh startups where they can actually start to like think about how incentives look like and then get them on board to defi so in terms of uh, like have you seen any of them do say market making on uniswap or 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 sushi shop or yeah. any of these dexes uh, well yes and no like they'll they'll provide some just to learn yeah. um but not at the scale and breadth that we want um so most of the i would say most of the total value locked in these protocols are crypto focused funds and whales um but that doesn't mean that they're not going to come in um i think it's just uh if they're going to come in they're going to come in with billions of dollars not millions so they they have the order books to provide it um i think it's just uh infrastructure needs to be more ready which many of them are building uh and uh i think over time they will it's just uh testing so i saw i think uh, they i have seen some of the some firms that have emerged that sort of do market making on these these things and i think yeah this this might improve as well i think there's autonomy i saw in singapore and uh, autonomy yeah. yeah they're they're yeah they're part of the alliance they're they're a great firm Oh nice nice. Yeah so, so do, do they do market making on uh dexes like uh is that one part of the business? Um I can't provide too much context in terms of okay. what they do but I could just generally say they're they're a great market maker for D, uh, for crypto. Okay okay gotcha. Coming to NFTs have you uh, thought about the NFT space and are you looking at uh, in 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 the whole Ethereum space what uh, what what about yes. um, I I generally I would say I'm more of a like i think there's about a few areas of nfts that i'm really excited about one is obviously the convergence between nfts and defi <clears throat> as one two is um uh gaming uh and three is more of kind of like scarce assets uh that could be um designed in a way that could be available to the masses Uh, so those are like the three areas that I've seen uh where I think NFTs are quite important um but I think there'll be many many more but 
those are the three areas I would say the ones that I'm excited about, obviously any type of infrastructure support around NFTs are, are what I'm excited about currently. Obviously we're laying down the foundation for this space. And so we are kind of early from that perspective. And then you have like interesting, so that's kind of the infrastructure side, the gaming, obviously if you look at kind of Axie Infinity and what they're doing uh, in terms of creating an ecosystem of, of, uh the community that is uh not only enjoying the games that actually provides uh but then also has them vested into the protocol for the long term which i think is super interesting and then from just the collectible side i think you just have so many different types of nfts that are selling for x amount that you probably hear about randomly but um all of these are sparks of what could be what what would success look like if there was billions of dollars in to the space but generally speaking those are three areas that i'm super excited about uh, and there's you know companies are building all three um and i think over time we'll start to see more robust protocols and platforms that will offer much more seamless ways for everyone to kind of interact so when you say uh collectibles do you mean like gaming collectibles or you mean like even like say uh digital fine art or audio nfts and things like that all of the above yeah um so anything that's a collectible uh from whether sentimental value because of a brand whether it's a scarce a scarce like re- like a, something that's very scarce or it could be you know art or music that you love um all of that would fall into into that kind of category so, okay okay gotcha uh, and in terms of nft and defi like there there are what i've seen mostly is defi and nft like mostly people have like say for meme you stake your uh, meme tokens and then you get a mm-hmm. nft and and that's what's usually happening but now i'm seeing some financial products developed for nfts as well like say you can loan out your nft you can create baskets or factionize uh, your nfts to erc20s which can you know then uh, leverage defi um have you have you seen any interesting projects there or it's just uh, yeah it's still early i think we're experimenting um like i mean i like what what's really cool about meme is um they kind of leverage you could say this yield farming concept into uh creating a community uh where people have to hold meme tokens as a way to um get access to uh newer collectibles so it's kind of like this bootstrapping mechanism and the rewards that it's like the inflation rewards that any yield farming opportunity brings is the the way is the way that a meme converts its uh kind of users into long-term vested kind of crypto collectibles so uh it's i think we're still very early from that side like experimenting and understanding ways how certain things that have worked i guess if you want to call it worked well in defi um barring some of those concepts in nfts and seeing how you could bootstrap collectibles market uh i guess some issues with the collectibles market is that it's very fragmented right so what i would like to see in the in the space is a way to better discover nfts um so this this is like where we are kind of like uh in a search engine problem that we have uh if you look at what happened in the early 2000s you know you had many search engines come out and obviously the biggest issue then was being able to uh under, like get uh be able to figure out like uh what website you need the most and how do you kind of rate those those websites based on what you're looking for and what the community is looking for 
I think that's where we are on, on discovering Cypher NFTs. Um, uh, I know that there will be a way to solve that, but right now there's just so much out there. And we're, we're not even in the, like the seventh inning. Uh, we're in the first. So I do think we still have a long time to go before we solve this, but I think that's one area that I would love for someone to look into and, and like start to build around. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, for World Capital, in like, uh, what what are some interesting areas apart from DeFi or NFT uh, that you are looking at? You know, in Ethereum or even Bitcoin uh, for investing in that that have sort of emerged uh, recently, or yeah. Yeah, I mentioned a few. Um, the one that the couple that I'm really excited about is Magic Labs, uh, which is was Fortmatic. Um, they first built out an infrastructure that allows private key management to be stored and protected safely. Uh, they do this leveraging you know, some of the core infrastructure that's provided by AWS, uh, along with creating some additional infrastructure on top to make it non-custodial uh, in a very protective manner. And now they, they, like, the goal is like in crypto, like when, you, when you're building, like when I talk to a founder in crypto, um, they build a product, like I'm not saying everyone, I'm just saying generally, like even myself, uh, I tend to look at the market that I'm building for, which is the market that I live in, which is crypto. From, from the outsider's perspective, the market for crypto is still very small. <laughs> uh, the users are still very, very tiny compared to the users of Web2 platforms. Uh, and so what Magic has done is that they've... Um, They've built this infrastructure out for crypto, leveraging crypto properties. But it turns out the uh, being able to provide a single sign-on solution that encrypts your not only your information, but all of what you're, you're, you're doing on a website is actually quite important. Um, and so many of the Web2, traditional Web2 players are leveraging Formatic now to create this experience that allows any user to log in seamlessly encrypted and not having to worry about whether or not their data is being mined for et cetera reasons. Uh, so it gives people and developers a peace of mind. And so uh, Formatic or Magical Apps is, is, is a product I'm really excited about. They have probably hundreds of Web2 uh, 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 applications, websites that are either inline or leveraging Formatic now to create this experience, which we're really excited about. Um, so. It's about bringing, it isn't about bringing web two to web three. That's kind of what we, that uh, our mindset or thesis is. It should be about bringing web three to web two. Uh, and I think Formatics has done a great job of that. Yeah, I think uh, Polymarket, I've seen uh, they, they uh, during the selections, I used that and I used Magic. And I have yeah. actually been yeah following Formatic since almost they launched. Uh, it's It's been great um, to, yep. to see their progress. Um, so just, uh, I was also curious about this, like, uh, in terms of businesses that are, you know, uh, solving real problems and trying to build a uh, revenue in crypto apart from exchanges and, uh, you know, people who provide liquidity and all that thing, uh, how, like, how, how, have you seen that people are now able to build out profitable businesses or, um, like magic is for one example, obviously they are still early, but in terms of, uh, profitable businesses in crypto do you have you seen this trend change where people are solving some problems and are able to make in some money yeah, yeah uh, they're, they're companies that are profitable yeah um 
I can't name names, obviously, but uh, yeah. uh, there's there, there's many that are close to being profitable or, or are profitable. Uh, so there's definitely a business here to be made. Um, it's just really depends on your time horizon. Um, crypto is obviously still very new. Uh, and there's a lot of battles that we're all solving together. Um, so it's just about like how far, how long are you able to go before you're able to attract those users to your platform and what types of core problems you're looking to solve, whether it's like short-term problems or is it more long-term where you need more time, uh, and support and development in the ecosystem to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Um, also, uh, just to wrap this up, uh, what, what sort of geographical trends have you seen in terms of, you know, founders who have been applying uh, for for DeFi Lions or even for World yeah. Capital? Yeah. Have, have you seen like a good uh, founders coming from all over the world? And yeah, what, what sort of trends have you seen? Yeah. Like? All over the world. Like uh, San Francisco isn't the only place uh, that people are applying from anymore. We're seeing people from Europe, China, India, Malaysia, Taiwan, you name it. So we, um, we appreciate the diversity that comes in and uh, we want every core to be as diverse as possible because it isn't just about what you learn uh, through the program, but it's also about the people that you connect with and learn from. Uh, crypto is going to be a global product set. It isn't a singular product. Um, and so, well, it depends, but most of the time, <clears throat> and, uh, and, and from that lens, you want to build a product that, that is an audience for the globe versus just an audience for a certain geographic area. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I think, uh, thanks Imran for coming on the yep. show today. It was really awesome learning about DeFi Alliance and, uh, you know, world capital and your thoughts on the space in general. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thank out. you for having me. And I hope you make uh, good investments uh, in the future as well. And uh, yeah, let's, let's start again in some time. Sounds good. Thank you.